we've been in this, this series called Fruit of the Spirit. I started this series several weeks back. Uh, and we've begun looking at, at the fruit of the Spirit. And I've, I've told you that, that I believe that there's truly only, only one fruit of the Spirit, which is love. For the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's singular, not plural. And then there's eight characteristics of the way that, that we display love, uh, that, that we live out love. And so we took two weeks and we looked at the definition and we looked at what love looks like. And then last week we looked at the issue of joy. And so this week I, I have the task of walking you through the scriptures, uh, looking at this issue of peace and, and what does it mean to have peace and what does peace look like and, and how do we get it because so many people believe that their peace is dependent on the out, outer life instead of the inner life. And, and so today we're going to just walk through the scriptures. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. I'll list out the fruit of the Spirit for you. And then we're going to use John chapter 15 uh, as a commentary, if you will, on this issue of peace. When Jesus began in talking to his disciples about this issue of peace, how to get peace, how to keep peace, and, and all those other things. And so here's what the scripture says of, of the fruit of the Spirit, and then we'll, we'll unpack this for you this morning. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Again, against such things, there is no law. In other words, there's not a law against peace. There's not a law against joy. There's not a law, law against faithfulness or gentleness or goodness or any of those other things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its, with its passions and with its desires. This last, this last week, July the 20th, uh, we, we celebrated like a, a monumental day in, in, in our nation's history. July the 20th, 1969 is when, when man first walked on the moon. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin uh, were the guys that were in the lunar module when they left the mothership. They were in the lunar module. They're making their way down to the moon. And they, they, wrote, they wrote a book together called Men from Earth. It's a fascinating book about their journey and about the, the moon landing that, that they were a part of. And in the book, they, they write this section. For me, it was just so interesting that they had they'd left the mothership. They're in the lunar module. Uh, they're making their way down to the surface of the moon. They're watching the, the dashboard of the lunar module, and all of a sudden, they get some readings, and then they get an alarm, alarm that they needed to abort the mission. Now, they also said that on front of the dashboard was like this big red button, that at any moment that if they decided they needed to abort the mission, they just simply hit that button and they would automatically return to the mothership. They got the readings, they talked amongst themselves, and they decided to, to radio mission control and ask what they should do. They radioed mission control, they told them the readings they were seeing, the alarms that they were getting. Mission control says, give us a few minutes. A few minutes later, they came back and they says, you need to proceed. We think it's okay, you need to proceed. Fact is, they would get this warning two times before they had touched down on the surface of the moon. In the book, Men from, from Earth, and I, ju I just want to quote, this is what they said. They said it, it actually happened twice. And then they went on to say, Do you know how hard it is to trust somebody you cannot see that is 250,000 miles away? But they did, and they made history. You know, if we're honest, as, as believers, sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to trust someone that we can't see. Sometimes it's hard to trust someone we can't see. And then when you go through those circumstances, you go through those situations in life to where the circumstances around you are unsettling or confusing to you. And, it, and if you're not careful, it, it can seem like, he, God, is like 250,000 miles away. In other words, when you enter into these moments in life and these circumstances in life to where it, 
to where you kind of think, I, I, I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know if we're going to, like, get through this. And God would tell you and Jesus would tell you when you're connected to him, whatever you do, do not hit the red button. Do not abort the mission that God has given you. Understand that peace and strength and confidence comes and stand connected to him. And then Jesus in John chapter 15 is with the disciples. John chapter 14, that they'd been in the upper room. They'd had the last supper together. Jesus taught them about love and unity and some other things. And we come to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, just a little bit of the context, the disciples, Jesus is taking the disciples and they're leaving the upper room and they're headed to, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knows what awaits him there. And, and, and the disciples, in, in, in some sense, also know what awaits him there. We pick up the story as we just unpack this this morning about peace. John chapter 15, verse 5. Here's what Jesus tells them. He said, I, I am the vine and you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can, you can do nothing. Now listen, the context of this, just so we're, we're tracking this morning, is that they, they had the Last Supper. They're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it, it's, it's like, it's less than a mile walk. I mean, I've, I've walked that trail. I've walked that path from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's like, it's like this, this narrow trail. And on each side of the trail are these huge vines that are growing for and generation after generation after generation. They had produced harvest after harvest after harvest. And Jesus is walking this trail with the disciples. And he knows that they're going to they're gonna have a tendency. They're going to have a desire maybe when they see the circumstances unfold to where they may want to hit the red button. They want to abort the mission that he has given them. And so Jesus knows that he has to speak into their life to encourage them and to help them. And so as they're walking, and in all accounts, and all people believe that it was total silence because everybody knew what was about ready to take place. And Jesus stops on that trail, and he breaks the silence. And he points to those vines on the side of that trail. He says, I'm, I'm the vine. And you're the branch. And my father in heaven, he's the gardener. He's the one that tills and prepares the soil. And Jesus is helping them to understand just in a real way where strength and joy and peace and all of these other things come from. It comes from the vine. And he says, I, I, I'm the vine. And you're the branch. Just abide in me. Just, just remain in me. Just I mean, he had, he had one message for them, and he has one message for us. Just stay connected to me. Just stay connected to him. Understand that all power and strength and peace comes from, from the vine. So this morning, I, I just want to give you three things about this issue of peace. I just want to give you three things about how to, how to get strength in your life, how to have peace in your life, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situations that you walk through in life. And the, the first one is this, is this humble yourselves before God and he will infuse his strength into you. Humble yourself before God. Understand you're the branch, he's the vine. Humble yourself before the, for God and he will infuse his strength. He will infuse his peace into your life. In other words, you and I have to come to the place where we just acknowledge our dependency on him, that, that, that we're, we're not the vine, that he is the vine. I mean, many people have been taught, in fact, is our society, 
reinforces this over and over into us, and that is, that is that you should never admit that you have any weaknesses, right? Then in other words, you should always act like you have everything together. You don't have any struggles. Um, you, you know how to handle situations. In, in other words, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to act like that you do not have any weaknesses. fact is, society will teach you that power comes or, or strength comes or peace comes from never admitting that you have any weaknesses, never admitting that you don't know. Fact is, I was Saturday afternoon. I was I, w- I was thinking about this about weaknesses and and you know that dreaded um, dreaded conversation or that dreaded question at a job interview when someone asks you, "Do you have any weaknesses?" And, you know, you got to be careful how you handle that. So I asked the Google about that. I asked the Google about this issue of weaknesses and how to cover weaknesses and and the Google took me to Monster.com and kind of guided, guided you through this. And so monster.com is like a job search engine to where if you want a job, that's where you go. And, and so they're helping you how to have an interview. And so monster.com would tell you, you know, be careful how you answer that question because in an interview, you don't want to appear that you have any real weaknesses. For instance, if you're applying for a job to be an accountant and they ask you, do you have any weaknesses? You don't want to say, you know, well, actually, actually, I'm not really good with numbers. I mean, that's... <laughs> You know, that's just not a good answer, right? You probably won't get the job. So Monster.com says what you need to do is you need to just quietly and confidently turn your weaknesses into, into a strength, okay? Because you don't want to admit that you really have weaknesses. So if they ask you, do you have any weaknesses? Then you just simply turn your weaknesses into a strength and you say, well, you know what? I do have a weakness. I tend to be a little bit of a workaholic. You're going to have to tell me when to go home because I tend to work too much. I do have a weakness. I'm a perfectionist. I, I don't turn out a project till it's perfectly done. Or they recommend that you talk about a weakness that you have that has nothing to do with your job, that has nothing to do, like, like I'm prone to injury. I don't wear the color green very well. Those are some weaknesses that I have. And so what they teach you, what society teaches you about this issue of weaknesses, that you come to the place and you never, you never admit that you have any weaknesses. Listen, as, as Christians, and sometimes we're really bad at this, because it's hard sometimes for us to admit that we have weaknesses. If we're not careful, we can come to a worship service. We can go to a life group. We can come into community with believers over and over and over. And we can give the perception, we can give the appearance that we don't have any struggles. We don't have any weaknesses. We, 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 we've got it all together. I mean, we, we know what we're doing. And, and we don't need anybody to pray for us. And we don't need anybody to help us. And we don't need anybody to, spree, uh, to speak into our life. And if, if we're not careful, we can communicate this false perception that we're strong and we got it together. But yet, Scripture teaches just the opposite. Scripture teaches come to the place. And I get it. I understand it is hard. But come to the place to where you admit, you know what? I'm not the vine. Jesus is the vine. I, I'm just a branch. I am just a, when you look at scripture, you find that the people that God has used over and over in scripture are some pretty weak people. Some people that, that, that didn't have it all together. Some people that struggle. In fact, it's 1 Corinthians 1.27. Paul's writing and Paul says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. I mean, you, you, you can run through scripture, right? Old Testament to the New Testament. You can see example after example after example of this. Uh, Abraham. Abraham was old. Leah, by worldly standards, was like unattractive. Moses. Moses. God called Moses to be a public speaker. Moses struggled. Moses stuttered. Elijah. Elijah was depressed. 
Jeremiah, Jeremiah was stressed. Jonah, Jonah was cowardly. John the Baptist, well, he was eccentric. Uh, Simon Peter, Simon Peter was impulsive. Martha, Martha was a worrier. Martha worried a lot. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was dishonest and he was unpopular with people. Um, Thomas, remember Thomas? Thomas had a lot of doubts. Thomas talked about his doubts. Uh, Paul, Paul was in poor health. Fact is, Paul had to have Dr. Luke travel with him and minister to him because Paul was in, in, in poor health. And Timothy was timid. I mean, when you look at Scripture, you realize that God chose weak people to change things. He chose weak things in the world to shame the things that are strong. In other words, what Jesus is trying to help the disciples to understand, what he's trying to help us understand is that his strength should flow through us when we humbly admit our weaknesses, our struggles. God isn't asking you and I to make ourselves weak. You're already weak. You're the branch. I'm the branch. That's all we are. I'm a branch, you're a branch, and what Jesus is trying to help the disciples to understand is power and strength and power comes when we're connected to the vine. Verse 5 in John 15, we'll just go on, he says, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me, I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, he's communicating to the disciples, listen, if you, if you hit the red button, if you hit the red button, if you abort the mission, you will no longer have the strength and the power. You will no longer have my peace available to you because what Jesus is trying to help them understand is power, life is in the vine. And as long as the branch is connected to the vine, then there's life and then there's power. And that's why Jesus went on to say, and he said, he says, I am, I am the vine. When you, when you look at in, in the Greek, it's actually a little bit stronger than that. Jesus really, what he was telling the disciples, I am I am the true vine. You know what that indicates to me? There's a lot of false vines out there. There's a lot of false vines out there in this world, right? That all of a sudden we can, we can look at those vines, whether it's, whether, it's, uh, whether it's many different things, and we can, realize, we can think, you know what, if I connect to that vine, then it's going to give me power, it's going to give me peace, it's going to give me success, it's going to give me happiness, it's going to give me joy, it's going to fulfill me, all of those other things. And we connect to that and we realize that, you know what, it did quite the opposite. In other words, the world tells you this. The world tells you, you, you know who the vine is? You're the vine. That's why 2,000 self-help books are on the market right now. I can summarize every self-help book that's written right now. And that is this. You're the vine. The power is within you. The strength is in you. Just be the very best vine you can be. And the world is teaching you and the world is telling us that the power and, and the strength is within. But Jesus is, is saying this. He says, he's saying something totally different. He's saying, my strength, your strength comes from me. Your strength comes when, when you're connected to me. And as a result of that, that I, I will be with you. Just, just be the branch and just stay connected to me. Whatever you do, whatever you walk through in life, don't hit the red button. Don't abort the mission that God has given you. Just stay connected to me. Um, you see this in Scripture. Paul is writing to Timothy. He's a young pastor of his time, and he's trying to help him understand Timothy. If you're going to be a pastor, you've got to understand where strength comes from. And he writes this in 1 Timothy 1.12, and he says, 
I think God who has given, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. In other words, I think it's so fascinating. It doesn't say not the gifted, but he just simply says the faithful. He just simply says the, the one that has given me strength, appointed me because I've been faithful, connected to him. John chapter 15, verse 2, Jesus says this. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, this is so strange to me. I would think that the gardener, that when, when, you, when you have a plant, that you, you wouldn't prune the branches that are bearing fruit, right? I mean, I would just think that. Now, listen, my wife, uh, my wife raises a lot of plants. We have a we have a lot of flowers in our backyard. We have a lot of, in Texas, we'd say pot plants. You can't say that in Colorado. Uh, <laughs> planters with flowers in them, okay? And so, and so we have a lot of those. And so she, she's out of town right now. She's, she's with my mom. My mom had some ma- a minor surgery. So she, Karen's back there taking care of my mom. And so I, I have one task and one prayer that I don't kill any of her plants while she's away. I am, I am even, I am even want watering the plastic ones right now. Uh, <laughs> and so Karen, every year, she, she prunes. And I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen anyone prune a plant like roses or something like that. But it looks like they're devast. I mean, it looks like it's devastating to the plant. And fact is, there's a time to prune and there's a pr- time not to prune. You have to wait when fall comes and the growing season is over. And a, and a, and a, and a branch may be budding and it may be about ready to, to produce flowers. But, but you, have, you have to wait until the plant sends the nutrients from the leaves down into the roots. And then, and, and, and then you prune. Uh, if you prune too early, you, you will kill the plant. You will destroy the plant. And the reason that gardeners, the reason that people prune a plant is for one reason, so that they'll come back and they'll be more productive. So they'll come back and they'll be stronger. And Jesus is trying to help the disciples to understand this, that, that he is the vine, the father is the gardener. And the father knows when it's time to prune and when it's not the time to prune. And the reason that he prunes us, The reason sometimes we go into trials and we go into difficulties is for pruning. And the reason that he prunes us is so that we'll come back stronger and more productive. The the, the second principle is this. Pruning, though painful, is for our good. Pruning, though painful, is for our good. Even with with plants, I mean, it looks looks like we are devastating the plants and they're never going to come back. But pruning, though painful in my life, in your life, Pruning, though painful, listen, you got to trust him that it is for your good. When you go through those seasons of pruning, when you go through those seasons of difficulty, don't hit the red button. Don't abort the mission that God has given you. That, that's, this, that's this one message to this verse. And so may, maybe God's carried you through a season of pruning. And maybe God is allowing some financial difficulties to come into your life right now so that you will learn that he is the one that ultimately provides for you. So you learn your dependency on him for everything in your life. Maybe he's allowed some physical challenges or some health challenges in your life because he wants you to understand and to know that, that we who are weak find strength and find peace and find, find joy in him and not in our situations and not in our circumstances in life. And maybe he has allowed some difficult relationships to come in your life so that you can understand this issue of forgiveness and you can understand this issue of prayer and, and some other things. But there's some difficult challenges that come into your life that God uses to prune us. Listen, let me tell you something. This is so important for you to understand. 
Circumstances do not determine the race that you're running. Your heart does. Circumstances don't determine the race that I run, and it doesn't determine the race that you run. You know what determines the race you run? Your heart, your commitment. Whether you hit the red button or not, whether you abort the mission that God has called you because it's gotten too unsettling for you, it's gotten too painful for you, it's gotten too difficult for you. Hebrews 12.1, Paul, 12.11, I'm sorry, is writing. And Paul writes these words and he says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who, who have been trained by it. I mean, James, in the, in the book of James, James writes in James chapter 1, verse 2 and, and 4. And he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces, it produces something in you. It is working in you. It produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, the only way that you and I are going to have the strength that God has called us to have, the peace that God has called us to have, the only, listen, the only way that we're going to, going to bear fruit, even through difficult times, is to be able to go through the pruning process. Be able to come to the place to where we don't hit that red button. And we don't abort the mission that God has called us to. The third and the last thing is this, and it's just so important, is Jesus is not an attachment to us. We're an attachment to him. Jesus is not, this is what he's telling the disciples, this is what he's telling us. Jesus is not an attachment to us. We're an attachment to him. So many times, especially in contemporary society, we look at Jesus kind of like the Jesus app. And we're just going to kind of download the Jesus app. And Jesus is kind of an attachment to us. And we attach him to our dreams. We attach him to our plans. And, and if we get the Jesus app and if we get a little bit of Jesus, then he's going to make our marriages better. He's going to make our jobs better. He's going to make our life better. He's going to make our financial situation better. He's going to make our health better and all of those other things. And see, here's what, here's what the gospel says. The gospel simply says this, is that Jesus is not an attachment to us. We're an, we're an attachment to us. To him. Fact is, I could, I could summarize this whole message, and and, and you, you could look at it for yourself, and uh, later on it just be like homework for you. In John chapter fifteen, over eleven times you see this one word: remain, remain, remain. Some of your translations may say abide, I, in, um, may say abide, and but but anyway, eleven times if you're reading now the ESV. 11 times you see this word, remain, remain, remain. Jesus, that's what he's telling the disciples. I could summarize this message in like, in like, in like one word and, and just remain. Just remain in him. Regardless of what you just stay, listen, stay connected to him. Even when it's hard to trust the voice of someone that you can't see. Even when you feel like, you know what? Circumstances are hurt, so hurtful and painful right now. They're so unsettling. He literally feels like he's 250,000 miles away. Scripture says just, just remain. Just stay connected. I don't know if you're like me. I, I don't like the word remain. To me, I, I mean, I get it. I understand it's an action verb. I just think it's a very poor action verb. I mean, to me, it's like telling, it's like telling me, sit still. You know, I'd, I'd rather him tell me, do something. You know, I mean, I'd rather tell him, you know, suck it up. You know, here, here's three happy hops to stress-free living. Just do that. I would, listen, I would rather him tell me to do something 
Yet he sits there and tells the disciples, just remain. Just stay connected to the vine. And then if you stay connected to the vine, if you just remain in me, the vine, the vine gives life, and the vine gives strength, and the vine gives peace. And then when you remain, then all of a sudden you're strengthened and you're empowered, and then all of a sudden you produce. In other words, it's so vitally important as Christians and Christ followers for us to get this right, that Jesus is not an attachment to us. We're an attachment. to It changes everything of how you look at life. It's, it, it's, uh, it's all about this issue of connecting. It's all about this issue of just learning to connect with him. In other words, this, when we connect to him and our focus is connection to him, when we connect to him, when he gets more of me and when he gets more of you, then he empowers you, he strengthens you. And, 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 and then, there's, there's a, then, you, then there's a harvest of righteousness. It's connection, then production. A lot of times we look at it totally different. We look at its production, then connection. Jesus says, oh, no, you're the branch, I'm the vine. It is connection, then production. In other words, it all flows out from the vine. It all flows out from there. In other words, our focus is connection. And it, when we walk in obedience to Christ and when we worship like, we did, like, we, we're, like we're doing this morning, when we study God's word together, when we life journal, when we pray together, when we go on mission together, when we do ministry together, when we serve together, when we... When we encourage one another, there's something that comes as a result of that. It's about this issue of connection. So this message, I'm telling you, this message is about learning to connect, learning to remain, learning to abide. And regardless of the temptation, don't hit the red button. Don't break that connection. Don't abort. The mission that God is giving. You see, this is what Jesus is trying to help the disciples. I, I, I mean, I wish, you, I wish you could see that trail that they were on that night and how dark it is. Uh, the vines are high and the trail is narrow. And there's not a lot of moonlight that can get in. And so it's pretty dark. And, and Jesus is the one that looks at the disciples. He looks at the vines and he says, I am the vine and you're the branch. Whatever you do, remain in me. Whatever, whatever happens from this moment on. You remain in me, and you do not hit that red button and abort the mission that I have given you. And men, in just a few minutes, when they come to the Garden of Gethsemane, when they come to, to, to arrest me, you remain. You remain. When they beat me and nail me to a tree, you remain. When you watch me die, and it's going to be unsettling and confusing to you. You remain. When they come after you, you remain. When I ascend into heaven, you remain. When you face persecution because you're a follower of mine and they know that you are associated to me, you, you remain. When your portfolio takes a tumble, you remain. When the economy tanks, you remain. When you lose your job, when things get crazy, you remain. When your car breaks down and nothing seems to be going your way and your circumstances are difficult, you remain. When your spouse disappoints me, when your child breaks your heart, when you lose your job, when, when people make fun of you because you're a Christ follower, you remain. You stay connected to me 
Because you understand life, life is in the vine. And you're a branch. 2016, this is personal, and we'll make some personal application, and we'll close. But 2016, my, our, my family, we entered into a season of pruning. We entered into a season of unsettling circumstances. It began with the diagnosis of my daughter of brain tumor and two surgeries, chemo and radiation, and, and, and we still praise God. If, if you knew the, the diagnosis that she was given, we praise God she is still getting clean scans today. But we entered into a season of, of, just, of, just, of just difficulty, and it, it's one of, those, one of those times that it just seems like it, for three years it's been one crisis, one difficulty after another. And God convicted me, and I, I'm just telling you, God, this is very personal, and I, I get it, I understand it, but God convicted me when, when we went into this season that my, only way I know to explain this, my fast food prayers were not going to get me through this season. Karen's been gone, and so that was easy for me because <laughs> I'm eating a lot of fast food right now. She asked me, you know, last night how the plant's doing, and, you know, am I eating? And I'm like, well, I didn't tell her about the fast food. I mean, <laughs> I'm telling you, if the driver's side window of my, my truck no longer rolls down, I will starve to death while she's away. <laughs> I just pull up. It just rolls down. They stick food in it. I'm happy. But there's one, thing about, there's one thing about fast food, right? It's high, high, high in calories and kind of low in nourishment, right? I mean, it may seem filling, but it's not, it's not really filling. Fast food prayers, you know, because I like to stay active. It's hard for me to sit still. It's hard for me to quit moving. And to be honest, just a confession to you, I really, really struggled in that area. I really did. I really did for a long time. And we, we went into the season, and God convicted me and says, you know what, your fast food prayers, I always liked your I always read scripture. I spent a lot of time in that. But just the, just the discipline of prayer, I'm just being honest, it was, kinda, it was a struggle to me. And God convicted me and says, you know what? Your fast food prayers are not going to get you through this season. Those quick prayers may be filling, but they're not spiritually nourishing. And God has carried me on a journey these last three years about this issue of, this issue of, of just prayer and what it means. And I have researched prayer. I've read books from famous men and women uh, that, that, that were huge prayer warriors. And you know what I learned? Many of them, they had this had-to moment. They came to a difficulty in their life. They came to a crisis in their life. And they, they had this had-to moment that they had to learn the discipline of prayer. And so my guess is if God wants to carry me through a process of teaching me to pray at a deeper level, then he more than likely wants to teach us as a congregation what it means to pray and to have a discipline of prayer. I want to give you just, just four things of what I've, what I've learned about this and, and how, how God has carried me in this, on this journey. Um, I just use the word pray because it's easy for me. It's like an acrostic. It just, it's easy for me to remember. And you can start out in five minutes a day, and then you can work your way up from there. So I, I life journal. I read scripture. I have my, my verse that I, that I want to apply. And then because all great prayers are crafted out of scripture. And so the first thing in this, P, is just, just pause. In other words, I just, I just pause, and it, it is so hard for me. Uh, I had to t I'd have to take my, my iPhone out, 
I'd set the timer. I started off like at two minutes, and I could, it was just hard for me. You know, all of a sudden, you know, in 30 seconds, I'm checking email or I'm doing something. And, and so just learning this discipline, just silence and solitude. Learning this discipline of Psalm 4610, if you need a verse, be still and know that I am God. It's just this remembrance that God is with me, that his presence is with me. So the first thing that I do is I pause. The, 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 the R is this. I, man, I rejoice. Philippians 4.4 4 tells us this, rejoice in the Lord always, just rejoice. And, and so I just rejoice. That's when I tell God some things that I'm thankful for. Thank you for the clean scans. Thank you for the provisions of our family. Thank you for what you're doing in our family. In other words, I remind myself the things that, that God is, is, is doing for us. And then the A is this. The A is just simply ask. And so, so a couple of things about that. Uh, I ask for forgiveness. There's confession and ask for forgiveness in some areas. And then, then I begin going down my needs list. And I begin asking for things. And God, this is what I need you to do in our family. This is what we want you to do in our family. John 14, 14 says, if you ask anything in my name, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 16, 24, Jesus said, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. In other words, I have some people push back at this point, and a lot of people say, well, we don't get that. Why do we, if God knows everything and he knows what you need, why do you have to ask him? Well, I, th I think there's three reasons for that. One, asking is, is relational. In other words, Jesus wants, there's something about asking. There's, Jesus wants to get to know you. It's this relationship, right? You look in Scripture, you see the number of times that Jesus healed people. Before he healed them, he had a conversation with them. Uh, the bleeding woman, remember, she touched the hem of his garment. Jesus knew something had happened. He's like, who touched me? What did he do? He had a conversation with her. The woman at the well, same thing. I mean, Jesus had a con over and over. And so this asking is relational. It's building this relationship. It's building this trust. Asking also, listen, I'm telling you, Asking also makes you vulnerable. That's why a lot of Christians don't pray in faith. That's why a lot of Christians don't pray big, bold prayers. Because it makes you vulnerable, right? What if he says no? What if he doesn't do it? I mean, when you start asking, it is not only relational, but it is also vulnerable. Listen, just a real quick story, and we need to move on so we can close. But this last week's been a tough week for my family. Two months ago, I prematurely told you that we had a new granddaughter two days old into the family, and Brittany and Corey were adopting her, and, and we thought she was free and clear, and, and so we welcomed her into our family. The three grandkids did like a sibling, and, and then something happened and realized she wasn't free and clear. And, I mean, we were court. We're, I'm telling you, we're praying big prayers. We're praying bold prayers. Because this is a big deal to my family. It's a big deal to her siblings. And on Tuesday, a judge ruled that she should be removed out of our family and given to a man that came forward that was really her biological father. How do you deal with that? For us, it's almost like a death. Tuesday afternoon, my daughter Brittany took that little girl, buckled her in a social worker's car in her driveway, got the grandkids, gathered around, laid hands on her, prayed for her, and sent her on. All we know is we stayed faithful to what God had called us to do. We thought it would have been a longer term, and it wasn't. 
telling you, asking, it's not only relational. Asking makes you vulnerable. Because we, we fasted, we prayed, we cried out to him. But we still trust him. We still stay connected to him. So asking also is intentional. I mean, you have, to, you have to be intentional in things that you ask for. And the last thing is this, just the why in this, is to where you yield to him. God, whatever you call me to do, I am not the vine. I'm just the branch, and I'm going to yield to you. If I missed your will, if I missed what you wanted, that's fine. We're, we're going to process through it. We're going to get through it, but we are going to yield to you because ultimately you are the vine and we are the branch. I'm telling you this. The last three years, I've lived this. Peace, strength, power comes when you stay connected to the vine. And you understand I'm just the branch. And I'm going to work on my connection. I'm going to work on my intimacy with him. I'm going to work on walking with him. And out of that, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situations, I'm going to maintain peace and joy because I trust in him. And regardless of what happens. I'm not hitting the red button. I'm not aborting the mission that God has given me because he's the vine. My prayer for you is that God would carry you in a process, on a process, to deepen your connection in him so you understand he is the vine. You're not the vine. He is the vine. And you trust him. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?